Hi, friends. Friends don't say friend hi like that. Uh, guys, if you guys were here this last week, uh, you'll remember that my notes fell everywhere right at the very beginning. And this week I brought a notebook. How about that? I had a mentor tell me once, words to live by, first do it, then do it well. And that is what we're doing with large group these days. So um, first we do it, then we do it well. Let me just, you know, get it all set here. So um, those of y'all that have been around for a bit might remember this clip that I'm getting ready to show from fall retreat last year. You also might remember parts of this talk, but there's new stuff, too. So don't zone out or zoom out. And um, and I think I just invite you to listen again here if there's more from the Lord. So um, this clip comes from a stand-up comedian. Her name's Angela Johnson. I think she's really funny. And uh, we got it. We got it. Good to go up there, Josh. Voice from above. So Angela Johnson is. Um, she's getting ready to tell you about getting into uh, a club using fake IDs. So enjoy. All right. Uh, yeah, you can clap for Angela. She's funny. <clears throat> so um, I, the whole. If you ever get a chance to watch a whole stand-up thing by Angela Johnson, I would highly recommend. It is is LOL. R-O-T-F-L, funny. Um, so uh, the thing with fake IDs, though, is that you never know if you're going to get in. It's a guessing game until the very last minute, right? It's a risk all along. So uh, InterVarsity at Duke is affiliated with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. So uh, it's a national movement. And I, uh, as, as, as being on staff with InterVarsity, as I am, I got invited to participate in this thing called the Discipleship Task Force, which is a fancy word. Or actually, there are three words involved in that. Um, with uh, Basically, it means that there's about eight of us, and we're sitting around in a room talking about what it means for InterVarsity over the next uh, five to 10 to 20 years. How are we to form faithful followers of Christ? What does it mean for us to... Um, have folks that are discipled as followers of Jesus, and how do we do that well? What, what can we do to do that? So the thing is, <clears throat> friends, in the room, I'm definitely the youngest person. Not only am I, like, the youngest person, I'm also, like, the most, like, whippersnapper. Like, I work directly on campus with students. Other people supervise staff or their kind of specialty in charge of, like, prayer in for the states of Texas, Oklahoma, and California or whatever. So, like, I'm, I'm all young, and I'm all green, and I'm like, I work on campus. And so we're in these rooms, and, and I, I just feel like I don't quite know my place there. And we're also having these, like, incredibly complex conversations, and I'm lucky if I can just understand what we're talking about. Like, I'm just like, okay, I think, like, I can't even figure out what I'm supposed to say, because I think I'm only tracking the conversation, like, what we're just discussing. So it's this um, crazy weird circumstance. And when I first was involved with the DTF, you guys can call it that too if you like, Discipleship Task Force, I um, I never really knew when to be quiet and when to say something. And I was always kind of trying to figure out my place in the room. I was always trying to gauge like, should I stop? Should I start talking? Should I stop talking? Is this something a campus staff member would say? So um, I, I, w- 
would guess that that the way that I was feeling in that would kind of be like what some of you guys are feeling right now um, in this room, especially at this time of the year. Maybe you're kind of coming into Duke and thinking, what is my place here? Or what does it mean for me to be a junior at Duke? What does that mean? Um, I want to welcome you to large group where we are all kind of asking some of those questions together. Just want to say, give a quick shout out to everybody that is uh, actually here with us, which is a fun, funnily small number tonight, but that's that's all right. Um, so newbies, just folks, so you guys that are new, this is your first time to large group, we say welcome. Old heads, thanks for coming. Is that a newbies cheer? What was that? Okay, well, yeah. Woo. Yep. Um, uh, old heads, thanks for coming back. We've got Christians in the room. We've got non-Christians in the room. We've got people who don't want to categorize themselves. We welcome you here. Everybody is welcome. Um, my role, my name is Allison, by the way, or some people call me Ace. You can call me either one. Um, my role as campus staff is to sort of be the advisor of this group. I'm kind of like uh, the pastor-ish sort of thing for this, what's going on here. I link the campus, this campus chapter to the Duke administration. I connect us to churches in the area. I do a lot of student leadership developments, mentoring, that sort of thing. And it is my full-time job. Can somebody say full-time job? All right. So we're in the middle of a series called the Follow Series. This is week two. And um, here's, the, here's the deal of the Follow Series. We are looking at places in Scripture where Jesus says, follow me which it turns out he says that a lot. So we've picked four of those to focus on. And um, it's, it's an opportunity to watch Jesus interact in a bunch of different scenarios with people in Scripture as he says the words, follow me. So the basic idea of the whole series is that following Jesus is not like following someone on Twitter. Last week I shared my, about my obsession with Twitter. It's my uh, mission in life to convert as many people as possible, possible to tweeters. Um, but there's a big difference between following Jesus and following somebody on Twitter. It's the same language, but big difference. Last week, we looked at a passage from the Gospel of John. And in that passage, uh, the, G- the disciples started following Jesus as he invites them to come and see, which coincidentally, or is it, is on our banner up here. Just want to point out the banner. Okay. So come and see. As king, Jesus has the authority to call and demand obedience because he's king. To follow Jesus is to simply attach ourselves to a person. Jesus says, come and see. And he offers his presence with his disciples. So this week we have another follow me passage, which, which Ruth so kindly read. We have another instance of Jesus inviting people to his small group. And um, it's a little bit of a different kind of story. And I want to read the passage again. Yeah, that's right. We're reading it two times. It's up on the screen. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Let's pray. Spirit, we just welcome you here. We welcome your presence, and we ask that you would have your way now in this time. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Have you ever felt like you're on the outside of a group? Like you're worrying about saying the right thing or doing the right thing to fit in? Maybe this even happened tonight when you walked into this room. If you're new, maybe you walked in and were like, I don't know where to sit. It looks like everybody is already friends. <laughs> they already know each other. Or maybe you've been around for a while, and you think there's like a core group who's really in, and I'm kind of on the outside. Um, when coming to something like large group, it's easy to start comparing yourself to everybody else, isn't it? And if, if you're like me, when you compare yourself to other people, um, you usually end up on the short end of the stick. Freshmen. This is probably huge for you. What's it been like for you these last few weeks? Maybe like when you came to Duke, you started hearing about how everybody else was also a valedictorian and won crazy awards, and you showed up at a class that you thought you knew something about, that you kind of like had some background knowledge in, and then you realized that everybody is apparently smarter than you in that class. Or the uh, convocation service in the chapel where... Um, they sort of talk about like how awesome people are in your class um, and like how somebody just like cured cancer and stopped atomic wars and um, did it at the age of 14 and they're sitting right next to you. And if you're not mentioned, then you must not be that great. Often when we're new somewhere, we compare ourselves to other people in an attempt to find a place to belong. I definitely do this myself. Remember me talking about being at the DTF meetings? It's sort of like, I don't know where I fit in. Here's the problem. When I look to other people to help me figure out who I am, I'm always worse than them. I always come out on the bad end. I'm always worse off than the people I compare myself to. I'm always lazier, always dumber, always less cool. And I think that's what this passage is going to address for us tonight. A few points about the context. Remember, it's always, always important to know the context of a passage. So the Bible, broken up into Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, God preparing the Jewish culture for Jesus. New Testament, birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And then his followers trying to figure out what on earth just happened. So the whole Bible kind of hinges on who Jesus is. So there's two big sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're broken down into what we call books. Books, arbitrarily broken down into what we call chapters. Chapters, arbitrarily broken down into verses. So the book that we're looking at tonight comes from kind of a biography of Jesus that one of his followers wrote, Gospel of Luke. So as the passage is up there still, you notice that it starts with after this. There's that phrase that starts with after this. What's this? Well... Jesus had just healed a paralyzed man. It was a miraculous, crazy healing. His friends actually lowered him through the roof to get him to Jesus, which is another talk for another day. Let's be that kind of community, but I'll save it, back pocket. 
So the man's not only healed, but then Jesus forgives his sins as well, which is crazy. Because nobody should be able to both heal and forgive unless it's God doing it, of course. So what Luke is setting up here is that Jesus, early on in the formation of his small group, if you will, already has some haters. There are some rumblings. Jesus has got people hating on him, and it ain't all peachy. So let's look again at the passage after this. The first thing we learn about our boy Levi is that he's a tax collector. What's that mean? Well, tax collectors is a government job. It means he made pretty good money. He also makes for a pretty unlikely candidate for Jesus to call as a disciple. He was certainly excluded from proper religious circles, that's for sure. Why? Well, tax collectors were known to be sketch. The system within which they worked was prone to abuse. They were known to extort and to abuse their authority. That's not all, though. Tax collectors were regarded as unclean by the Jews because of their consistent contact with people who are not Jewish. See, Jewish folk were kind of operating under the idea that they were set apart by God, that they were holy, that they were special. They needed to retain their holiness by kind of keeping to themselves. So for tax collectors to intermingle with all types of, all different types of people in the population, which their job called for, BT-dubs, meant that they were breaking all kinds of Jewish ceremonial law all along the way. So the first thing that you need to know about this passage is that Jesus absolutely should not have been mixing it up with people like Levi. Absolutely not. Jesus is a good Jew. And certainly, as a Jew who is claiming that he has some kind of special relationship to God, which he does throughout the Gospels, has no business hanging out with people like Levi. And that, my friends, is why the Pharisees and teachers of the law think of them as like Jewish religious professionals, Jewish staff workers, get all fired up about what's happening and challenge Jesus' actions, saying, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, if you're God, as you're claiming to be, why the blank would you be hanging out with people who clearly aren't being very God-like? See, Jesus is challenging their whole idea of who God is. And then we see by Jesus' response that he doesn't seem to care. In fact, he makes it clear he's here for the sick. He's here for the sinners. He's here for the unholy, the messed up, the outcasts, the small. Anybody here felt small at some point this week? Anybody here feel like you don't quite stack up when you look around? Jesus is here for you, not for the people that have it all together. So I love that Levi threw a party for Jesus. I think that's awesome. And uh, in some ways, I just I like parties. But the problem was, when I was in college, I liked the wrong kind of parties. So this kind of reminds me a little bit of my own story. I went to a small school in Virginia called Randolph-Macon College. Um, was that for Virginia? You were happy about Virginia? All right. Okay. Um, it's weird. Like, why are we suddenly excited about where we're from just because someone on a microphone said it? I, yeah, I don't know. I do the same thing. North Carolina, Durham, baby. Anyway, so I went to a small school in Virginia. I was sucked into the party scene early on. I grew up going to church, but it didn't really kind of like take root. So I partied as much as possible my freshman year until 
my sophomore year, a friend from the football team invited me to a small group. So I went every once in a while, and I kind of checked it out from a distance. I went probably like once a month. So eventually, that small group became a place of great belonging for me. When we would be in scripture together, something started like moving in me. And when these people prayed for me, I felt something. And when they invited me back, I came. Let's be clear. I was still a hot mess. Nothing changed overnight. I was knee-deep in the party scene, hookup culture, all that. But something was different about my time with the people in that small group. Eventually, we became friends. And I had a place to belong after a while. I remember thinking early on, man, if these people knew what I was doing 24 hours ago... There I was comparing myself to them, trying to use my fake ID to get in. I had a place to belong, but I didn't quite believe yet. More about that a little bit later. So notice that in verse 30, the Pharisees complained to Jesus' disciples, which is a little interesting, about him being unreligious. We can be pretty sure that Levi felt at least some pressure to compare. Jesus invites him to a small group anyways. Imagine then what it was like for Levi to be chosen by Jesus, to be noticed and appreciated. Jesus, who has a growing reputation for linking himself to God, had asked him, Levi, to follow. Levi, the tax collector. Levi, the irreligious. Levi, the sketch. Levi, the man who was used to being cast aside by the religious community. Here at Duke, it often seems that who we are is gauged by whether or not others like us. So our status with friends or classmates or professors, RAs, determine how we think about ourselves. If they love us, we must be lovable. If they don't love us, we must be unlovable. Really, our, our existence, our value, hinges on what other people say about us. First impressions, then, are very important, aren't they? Here we are, second week of classes, all up in the middle of some first impressions. All up in the middle of it. There's a lot riding on all these social interactions we're having right now, right? As we move through these first few weeks of the semester and year, there's great pressure to compare developing, building up. We're always stacking ourselves up against others to figure out where we stand. Even our standing in a group like this becomes very important because our identity hinges on it. But do these fake IDs work? No. Do we ever get into the club? No. What are the results of trying to use these fake IDs? Both lead to false selves. Both lead us astray. Down two dead-end roads, both of them destructive. When we compare ourselves to others, we either self-inflate, I'm better, or self-deprecate, I'm worse. Self-inflation. Let's talk about that a little bit. I rule. At least I'm not like that person. We are far superior. We're producing. It's me. So uh, I've noticed something about you guys. I'm going to call you out because that's what I do. When you guys talk about your summers, it is no longer okay to just say that you did one thing. So, for example, 
well, okay, let's just this. I've just noticed that there needs to be multiple like world-changing activities in one summer. So you took a first summer session, you took a class to get ahead in your major, then you went home in between and cared for your disabled neighbor, then you traveled to Uzbekistan to help orphans get iPads, and it was awesome, and then you came back to Duke. Surely that's a better summer than the person on your hall that lived with their parents and worked at Burger King. Yeah, Burger King. I mean, at least you didn't do that with your summer, right? Or the alternative, the other result of the pressure to compare, self-deprecation. I'm always worse. And I think this is where we live a little bit in this community. So, for example, let's say you're a small group leader. You show up to your small group leader meeting with your friend and um, fellow small group leaders. I don't know why I went to that detail, but whatever. Um, you're feeling okay about your small group. You show up, you're like, whatever, until other people start talking. So another small group leader starts talking about how they just studied this super passage, and 18 people showed up, so they had to divide up into two different groups. And they love their co-leader. Man, it's so awesome. They're growing with God. They can't wait until next week. Praying, I'm serving, it's awesome. And you're sitting there like, because if you're comparing yourself to others to figure out who you are, this is bad news. Because the reality is your small group has six people, if that. You have a hard relationship with your co-leader. You don't actually look forward to small group. And you actually feel like you're moving farther away from God after you started leading. Friends, you will always come out on the short end if you start comparing yourself to other people. But all we really want to do is belong, to be a part of the club, to fit in. That's what we're trying to do when we compare ourselves to others, right? We're just trying to figure out our place so we can figure out where to nestle in. But the problem is comparing ourselves to others only leads to either self-inflation or self-deprecation. We either come out much better than others or much worse. And that's what's happening here in this passage. The religious professionals are looking at themselves and then looking at Levi, the tax collector, and comparing, surely they're more godlike than him. Both self-inflation and self-deprecation are far away from who we are as created in the image of God. Fake IDs don't work. We never get into the club. I want us to look at a letter written by Paul to um, the young church. So this comes from the third chapter of Philippians. Paul was a convert to Christianity, so he's communicating to a really young community of recent converts. Also, he's writing this letter from jail. It's a little crazy. So I'm going to read this. Philippians 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me now, I consider the loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Here's what Paul's saying. According to the Old Testament, the way the rules were set up, he is good. Circumcised on the eighth day, circumcision, act for baby boys. You can only do it on boys. Girls don't have the equipment, if you know what I'm saying. So the point is, he followed Jewish law exactly. He talks about being from the people of Israel, God's chosen people. There's a special relationship between God and Israel. He talks about being from the tribe of Benjamin. See, the thing is, this is a small tribe. And so he's had this kind of spectacular rise to position. He's not supposed to do anything, and he made it big as the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's perfectly religious. He's a Pharisee. He kept the law perfectly. He didn't do anything wrong. He never cussed, which I'm pretty sure I already did today. He stole. He never stole. He had a good response to everyone. He never had a bad day. He was moral. He lived a clean life. He persecuted the church because he lived up to what was expected of him. He was doing the right things. He was moral. Paul knew how to interact with God perfectly. Sort of like a Duke student. A plus in all your classes. You're involved in Duke Engage. You started your own nonprofit first summer last session. First summer session last summer. You do a little bit of research on the side. You're involved in DSG. You're a club team president. You're a line monitor for the crazies. You are a, such a hardcore Duke fan that you go to women's swim meets. Sorry if there are any women swimmers in here, but I'm pretty sure you don't have a lot of fans. Give extra scholarship money back to Durham to those who need it. Because you have extra, so you give it back. You're an expert at networking. You're dating well. Because listen, you guys have the potential for marriage, but you're not rushing it. You have an ever-expanding group of friends that's getting bigger and bigger, and you're constantly getting to know each other in deeper and deeper ways, and you're putting new people in all the time. You can do it all. Paul had the criteria for greatness. He had a stellar resume. He was perfectly religious, religious but is that enough? Nope, because there's a big old but in verse 7. Big old butts in Scripture. That's a big one right there. Paul is now using a new ID, even though the old one should work well. What is it? Christ. What's the cure for the pressure to compare? A new identity, a place to belong. Whatever he used to use is now lost. He actually says that in a pretty severe way, but we'll save it. What's important now? He's knowing Christ. Righteousness of God on Righteousness from God on the basis of faith. Apparently that's enough for Paul. He's through comparing himself to others and now bases his entire identity in Jesus. See, fake, ID, fake IDs leave us exhausted and insecure. When you compare yourself to others, do you ever feel okay about it afterwards? No, it, it always leads to either thinking too highly of yourself or thinking too lowly of yourself, and neither one are good. When we're in a new situation, it's very tempting, very tempting to try to figure out who you are by comparing yourself to others, to see how you stack up, all in an attempt to belong. I think that what Jesus is trying to communicate to us tonight through this passage is that if we're willing to stop trying to compare ourselves to other people and instead look to him, we'll find that we actually do have a place to belong the thing that we're looking for so desperately. What we see here is that Jesus calls Levi first and asks him to follow. He gives him a place to belong first. He gives him a new identity. He is no longer a tax collector. In fact, 
because he was a tax collector and he left his job so abruptly, there's a pretty good chance that he's not going to have a job whenever he comes back. He does come back. We'll talk about that next week. <clears throat> so later, he'll, lay it, he'll find out what all of this means. But right now, you just got to accept it. Where he is right now, he has a place with Jesus. Even as a sketch, irreligious tax collector, or in the words of my pastor who's here tonight, <laughs> the call comes first, then the character. The call comes first, then the character. First, Levi has to start using his new ID as a follower of Jesus and cut up the old ones, just like Paul. Then he can explore how that changes everything. But the call comes first, then the character. Remember how I was telling you about my own kind of story of belonging? Um, when we left off, I was kind of like going to the small group every once in a while. I was still caught up in drinking and all that. And more and more, the small group simply became a place for me to belong. I still worried about what everybody thought about me since I was having a hard time accepting my true identity as a follower of Jesus. But my friends there in that small group really cared for me. They invited me into prayer. They prayed for me out loud and asked me to give it a try. They stopped and talked to me on the way to class. They remembered to ask me how the game went the night before. They gave me a place to belong regardless of what I was up to. First, I need to be accepted, invited, and loved on. I needed to believe that I was really a part of things before I could let the word of God shape me. And that's what I believe is going on right here in this room. We're here first to give people a place to belong. As people all over this campus are looking for how they fit in, as they compare themselves to other people, all in an effort to fit in. Don't miss that. That's why people are doing it. That's why you're doing it. To be a part of things, we want to give them a place. But, big old but, the only ID that is lasting, that is true, that will shape us for good, is an identity found in Jesus, like Paul was talking about. That's what we have to offer. That's who gives students all over this campus a place. It's not even in our varsity. It's Jesus. Like Jesus called Levi, a sketch tax collector, to follow him as he was, as he was in that moment, just how he was, without much regard to him not being that great of a guy, he gave him a place to belong with Jesus. So are we to give students on this campus a place to belong. Yup, through small groups. And yup, through weekends like NSR. And yup, through gigs. And yup, through providing rides to church. We need to be this type of community that calls first. That gives people here a place to belong, which they are looking for so intently. That's who we want to be as a community. But do not forget that the fake IDs still beckon us as individuals, personally, in here. It's still so tempting for me to try and find my identity by comparing myself to the people around me. I still wrestle with this. I still get caught up in self-inflation or self-deprecation because I either come out on top or way lower than I should be. And the challenge for us tonight is to remember that Jesus gives us our ID into the club. Jesus gives us a place to belong with him. And he gives it out freely right now to all, regardless of where we find ourselves, regardless of how we stack up to others. 
but we've got to follow him first. Let's pray. Jesus, I um, have a long way to go in following you. Sometimes I still feel like I'm at step one of like, wait, who am I? Wait, you're talking to me? So I pray, Lord, that we, um, that first of all, that we would be people that hear this, hear you calling our name just for us, just for ourselves. That we would long to hear you speak our name to us, wherever we are, right now. Lord, would we be people that long for that more than anything? And would you shape this community into people that do that on this campus? Would you use us to speak that to one another and to speak that to the people that are in this room and to speak that or show to people who are not in this room? Lord, use us to do this. We're so grateful. We're so grateful that you didn't say to Levi, get your stuff together, show up a couple in a couple months when you've got it uh you've got it worked out spiritually. Lord, thank you that you just went up to him and said, "Follow me." And he just did. That's awesome. What a great model. Lord, thanks for being that kind of leader to us. And so Lord, would you would you continue to beckon us to to cut up our fake IDs and to use the true one that you've given us? through your work on the cross. We thank you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.